It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. At KPMG, our people make the difference. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG, make the difference. Hello and welcome to the BBC Countryfile magazine podcast, the podcast that takes you on great escapes into the British countryside, chats to fascinating rural folk and asks curious questions about the big issues. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the magazine's editor. And in this episode, I head to Stroud in Gloucestershire to talk about the pros and cons of renewable energy with naturalist and sustainability guru Simon Pickering. Simon is the principal ecologist for Ecotricity, who supply green energy. And so we went for a walk in the Cotswolds near his office to visit a wind turbine and also see what wildlife was around. It gave me an opportunity to pick Simon's brains about renewable energy, such as solar and wind power, and ask some of the questions we might all have about how viable they are. Simon, where are we? We are at Lynch Knoll. This is a field owned by Ecotricity. Uh, it's a field that we're actually rewilding, putting, giving back to nature. It's, it's opposite the first turbine that Ecotricity put up in uh, December 13th, 1996. Um, this field has been, it was an intensive grassland and we've basically left it to uh, grow up and we occasionally cut areas and we're actually just about to do some, get the neighbouring farm to cut this and reseed it with some wildflowers we've just harvested. Oh, right. So you ha- where did you harvest the flowers? From, oh, from here or no, from another? No, from no, no, from a site just on, on, yeah. on by Mission Hampton Common on one of the, the flower-rich meadows. It's part of our EcoTalk uh, uh, offer with our, our mobile phones, giving land back to nature. The four tenants of Ecotricity as a company are... Uh, uh, we recognise that the biggest impacts that humans have on, on the planet and climate change are energy, transport and food. So we're trying to address those with, with, our, with our operations. And we also want to give land back to nature. So this is giving land back to nature. It's interesting that it was a, a, an improved grassland before. Yeah. Improved being one of those words. Which, yes. Um, <laughs> I find it a bit dubious, But uh, I heavily seeded with... Um, with, 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 per, with perennial ryegrass, Timothy, and a yeah. whole... There's actually not a lot of it left, but there are... Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit, but it shows that you of, can... Bit of, bit of, bit of, it's taken a long while. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is 26 
ideas for this to go back. But yes, it's tech, it takes a huge amount of time to come back. Really? So it's not, it's not a, a quick fix? It's then. not a quick fix, and that's why we've got these, these plots here. That, um, and so there are a few bits where we're beginning to get, like we're beginning to get some wildflowers coming in. Well, I can see some knapweeds around. Nap, yeah, knapweed, and uh, in the spring we're getting uh, uh, cowslips coming up. But it takes a long, long while for this to change. Okay, no, so it's like it's lots of knapweed here. Yeah, everything's going to seed now. We're in oh, yeah. September, so it's, yeah, so it's definitely it's, got that it's late after on. the Lord Mayor's show feel. <laughs> and so we've only got a few bits where we've got fine grasses coming in. Yeah. Uh, rather than this rough. One of the intriguing things, though, is that um, leaving the long grass, um, it's actually really important for wintering snipe. Oh. Snipe come and, and, and dock down here, and, and they seem to actually, you, you often get uh, 10, 20 snipe in this field, which is not a place where you'd normally expect them. But they so love being hidden in this long grass, long they're grass. just feeding yeah, away with the long yeah, bills. Yeah, and, yeah. The, and, the... and in the summer, this summer, we had um, breeding reed buntings. Did you? Yeah, oh, okay. and normally a, a wetland species, yeah, yeah. but because of the long, tall grass and all the seeds, and presumably the insects as well, um, we had two pairs here, one nesting somewhere here and one nesting over the other side there. very satisfying to see. Yes, yes, Life yes. coming back to what coming, was... Coming, coming back slowly, com yeah. coming back to what was a, a, a bright green field, yeah. which some people, you know, think is, is the countryside, the natural countryside, but obviously it's, it's not. It's, uh, it, it's bright green fields are, are managed to maximise the productivity of grass to, to feed animals, basically. Oh. And so they're usually fields produced out of fossil fuels because much of the fertiliser put on there, unless it's an organic farm recycling it, it will be artificial fertiliser. So loads of impact, inputs oh, to yeah. create the green and pleasant land that people assume is the sort of patchwork of British countryside. It, it's, it's an intriguing thought, isn't it, is that yeah. a lot of this... So if we look over here, we can see that that bright green field over there... So we're looking over uh, the Cotswolds Escarpment. Cotswolds, Cotswolds Escarpment there, yeah. looking across the Woodchester Valley. And the field on the opposite side there, that is bright green. Yeah, that is emerald almost green, yeah. emerald green. And it, it's September, you know. And that was almost certainly been uh, as a result of um, fertilisers, almost certainly made from fossil fuels. Well, definitely made from fossil fuels. Yeah. Whereas the hill behind, which is uh, part of Robber Common, which is actually a site of European importance, or SSSI as well, um, that's a sort of a yellowy colour, and that's sort of the natural grass that's, that's never been fertilised. Right. Bright green landscape is an indication, in many ways, of human intervention for animal production, but human intervention with fossil fuels um, on the landscape. And as we were saying here, it's taken a long while to change this. People get concerned about, say, solar farms, for example, saying that they despoil the landscape. But if you remove a solar farm away, you're left with a field as it was before. You put artificial fertilisers on a field like that, it'll be 20 or 30 years before it turns to its, returns to its natural or even semi-natural state. Um, can you get a kind of silage crop off? Obviously you can, but is it yeah. worth anything? I mean, well, the, the, is, can you encourage other farmers to do this commercially or is this something that we really... I mean, I, th I think one of the opportunities for a field like this would be if um, uh, would be to actually use the, the silage either as feed or as actually as a feedstock for a, a green gas plant, an anaerobic digester. Oh, right, okay. And that's that's something that, that there is there are opportunities now, in that the government has made a commitment that we're going to decarbonise the uh, the whole of the heating mm. by 2040, 
whether that's soon enough or not is, is another matter. Mm. But um, alternatives to North Sea and fracked gas are something that the current government... So AD might, aerobic AD, digestion might be the solution? Might, one uh, of the, one I, th- of the, I think it would be definitely one of the solutions. Right. I mean, it's something that... I've heard lots of, bad, I mean, lots of negative stuff about AD, that people are growing crops that go straight into AD. That sort of maize crops and things like that. That's right. I mean, there's obviously balances and checks. I mean, maize crops, um, particularly if if they're harvested and it's left bare, they're an open crop, so there's a real risk of runoff in in the autumn. And also, intensive maize crops are an ecological trap for for, for skylarks because they just grow up. Sorry, maize crops are an ecological trap for lapwing because lapwings nest in the open areas and then it grows up and then they... There's not sufficient food for them. So, yes, purpose-grown crops um, for AD plants can be an issue. I mean, actually, we've been... Goldfinch green. Yeah. Now one of the most common birds. Hunted almost to... Well, almost to extinction by collectors uh, in Victorian era as as a bird for both its feathers and also for... As a songbird. It used to be quite... Cage bird. Cage bird. Cage bird. It used to be quite a common... Um, song in cities because people used to catch them and put them in cages and they'd survive uh, not very long. No, gosh, that's incredible. And now they are now as common as yeah, sparrows. Now, really, now they're so. really common and they've, yes. they've done really well and they, and they also exploit humans putting out food. Going back to anaerobic yes, digestion, yes. but yes, I mean, there are opportunities of using now using uh, herb rich lays that can actually be used to be harvested, cut to silage as a feedstock. And it's certainly an opportunity uh, using herb-rich lays, even on arable land. And we have this uh, real issue with um, blackgrass, uh, pernicious weed in lots of arable yes. crops yes. that causes um, uh, the, oh, I see, it's a problem in, in the quality of, of the grass and actually, it, po- problem of the quality of the, of the wheat but also it competes with the wheat so it reduces mm. the, uses the very crop. hard to deal with incredibly talking. hard to deal with I mean, it can be dealt with by um, using numerous herbicides at the right time of year but then it doesn't always work yeah and lots of landowners now are, are, are just taking um, arable land out of arable production and putting it down to a grass lay for four or five years and grazing a few animals on it to get, it, to get rid of the black grass. Yeah, because the black does that works. He does. He does. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a long, long period, and also the returns on um, grazing a few animals aren't that great. No, Whereas no. there is an alternative way of doing that, in that we you can actually put it down to a species-rich lay with deep-rooting uh, plants that draw up the nutrients, provide uh, uh, flowers with pollination at the right time of year, but also the ability to harvest that. Um, throughout the season at the right time of year and use that feedstock to put in an anaerobic digester is an effective way of generating green gas in a very sustainable way. The uh, species-rich lay will be a, a, a carbon-positive, absorbing carbon out of the air after the first year. And it can provide landowners with a, with a guaranteed income for a, for a period of time. And it could be a a major contribution to our decarbonisation of, of the gas grid network, particularly in the West Country, where where grass and uh, and those sort of crops grow well. That's really interesting. So we could, from our grass, create gas. Yes. Uh, grass to gas. Grass to grass. To gas is a real opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And um, interestingly, we've well, done some we've done some calculations that um, in, in, it, it's quite possible to actually generate sufficient gas for all domestic customers, all domestic, so all domestic consumption, 
from uh, reverting uh, land back to, 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 to grasslands. Amazing, amazing. Uh, how did, could you explain just how listeners how anaerobic digestion works? Basically, it's a mechanical cow's stomach. Right, it's, it's fermenting. <laughs> it's fermenting, it? yes. It, it, it's putting the uh, organic material into a large tank with, and mixing it all up and allowing the bacteria to work on it um, and produce methane, uh, which is effectively is, is, is natural gas. It's a completely natural system, and, and the use of a, of a herb-rich lay, species-rich lay of a, of a consistency, you know the, the quality of the feed, and it's a consistent feed throughout the year, and it means that the bacteria of the ecosystem within the anaerobic digester is, um, is, 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 is stable, so it produces roughly the same amount of methane um, throughout the year. There will be some CO2 which can be taken off, and sometimes you, you may need to add, add other things to it, but it can be cleaned and then fed directly into the gas grid it, it, with no, no, no real changes at all. You, if, if it's of low value, there might be a bit of propane needed to be added, but generally it can be a direct replacement of North Sea gas. It could also be used for... Um, for fueling vehicles, LPG. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we see these big lorries going up and yes. down the motorways. Yes, that are... Lots of Land Rovers where I am. Yeah, with the pipes coming up. The side. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The so it it, yeah. it it is it is a real opportunity to actually have a. Um, I mean, in these difficult times of Brexit, we don't know what's going to happen. It's a real opportunity that rather than importing, you know, gas from America or the Middle East, we could actually be growing grow our own grow our own fuel. grass. Um, how, how big is this field? Sort of eight acres? Yeah. 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 So how much power could an eight acre field? Well, OK. Is there, is there, is there any sort of <laughs> equations uh, or maths out there? To... It depends on, 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 the, on the grass and, and what you're doing. So you probably need about, you're roughly talking about, it depends on the, on, on the gas use of each house and various things like yeah. that. It does require quite an extensive area right. of grassland. So a five megawatt anaerobic digester will require something in the region of 1,500 uh, acres of, of grassland around it, harvested at different times. So this would, this would um, depending on how productive, this would uh, uh, produce uh, for, an, uh, well, depends, depends really on, on the house use. We got planning permission for four solar farms just before the last Brexit vote. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, the price of the, the change in the value of the, the, uh, the pound affected the, uh, the economics of it all, but with the, the drop in, the continued drop in the price of, uh, of solar panels, it's now um, very economic again, and we're hoping to build at least four solar farms out at this, in the next couple of years. How big are we looking at? How many, we're, we're, we're looking at, well, <clears throat> in terms of generation, I mean, the, the big constraint nearly always is, is the, your, your, the, grid, the, the capacity of the grid nearby. Right. That's probably the biggest constraint on new renewables, and certainly new solar in this country, in that the grid is not really been upgraded sufficiently to uh, use solar or to be, have solar added to it in rural areas. So most of the ones we're looking at will be um, uh, about... Uh, Five megawatt sort of size. Okay, so what's what and acreage? So, so, so that, that, that would be, it used to be um, <clears throat> two hectares per megawatt, but with the efficiency of uh, solar panels, it's now probably now 1.5 hectares per, per megawatt. 
we've we've got we've got a site down in Somerset we've got permission for and we're looking at it now. Yeah, that is lots of oh no, they're, they're, they're crane flies, yeah. they're crane flies coming out now. Yeah, it's a time. Are thing. they all sort of hatching today? Yeah, well it looks like it, isn't it? It looks Suddenly like looks, 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 Yeah, so everybody will be then ringing up and their house is full of daddy long legs complaining yeah. <laughs> that they've got spiders and that's yeah, long legs. Yeah, yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. Um because these are sort of cannon fodder for so many other oh, yeah. other creatures. Oh yeah, great, aren't they? <laughs> it's a great time to be a bird when all these are coming out. Yeah, yeah. And no, so we've, we, we've got a site down in Somerset where we've got a, a grid capacity of a, of a set amount. Uh, it's a five megawatt one. And when we planned it, we were planning on these three fields. And when we've looked at it again, we can actually fit the same amount of uh, generation on perhaps only two and a bit of the fields. Right, OK. So, so, so Because the, of the pa- solar panels? Are solar panels are much, much more efficient these days. Um, the ones that are in the ground now are probably about um, 14% efficient. We're talking about ones that are sort of 18, 19, 20% efficient. People are now bringing out ones that are 25, 30% efficient. So the efficiency of solar panels... When you say efficiency, in terms of that term, In terms of the, the ability to turn sunlight into electricity okay. for a set area. I see. So you've got a, a sheet of solar. Yeah, 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 solar. Yeah, yeah. It's how much of that? How, how much of that? Uh, and it's also the, oh. the actual, actually in, 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 in terms of the the actual um, chemicals, the, the actual area in there, what it, what it actually does in converting the amount of light hitting it. Because obviously if, if you. it only converts 10%, you have to have a bigger area to generate the same amount. But if it's converting 25%, you need... Obviously. So that's quite exciting. It is, it is quite exciting. Uh, it's changing all the time. and it, it, it's, it's a so very People are getting better and better at making solar panels. Yes, so solar panels are, are, are a dramatic increase in f- uh, efficiency and also... What's that fly? Is that a hornet? Uh, well, that would be exciting. It does look like a hornet, is it? Oh, I think that's a... A late summer hornet. It is? Yeah. There we go, that's a, a mighty wasp. Now the sun is out, it's really humming here. So the area, yeah. the, area, the area for solar, yes. Um, so people get upset about seeing green, the green fields that we talked about. <laughs> the bright uh, green fields. Disappear, disappearing yeah, under... And the, and the solar, yeah. Uh, what reassurance can you give people then that... It, I mean, you mentioned earlier, it's obviously... It doesn't have to be permanent and it doesn't damage the field underneath. In fact, in many ways, you know, often it, 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 it's, it's never put on, um, you know, the really high-grade farmland because people can make more money out of... Of, of growing crops, but it's often put on land that's often really pushed um, and to try and make a profit out of it. So probably putting it down to solar for 25 years gives the land a bit of rest. Uh, that's interesting. It, it, I've it never actually, heard that actually before, allows yes. it yeah. to recover. If you think sort of yeah. begin to think in sort of natural cycles, it means that it, it's not has herbicides and pesticides and this is an ash tree. It's an ash tree. Doesn't look very well. Well, no, it's not. I mean, like most of the, a lot of the ash in Gloucestershire, it's got ash die off. So that's, that's, that the, bare the crown is ash die off. Crown, yeah. That's yeah. the first ash die off I've ever seen, because of where I am really? in Wales, they're, um, they're still okay. Oh, right, oh no. No, so it, it got into Gloucestershire, ooh, you've really started seeing it about five years ago, and it's, 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 it's very sad. Particularly affects younger trees, often oh. plantations, this, 
where people are planted. Is that, is that an ash, that big one there? That's an ash. So that yeah. one's healthy. That, well, that one's okay. That one's yeah. okay. We've got a big ash on the corner there, a big so old ash tree that, that the kestrel nests in. Yeah. That seems to be okay, but it, it, it definitely seems to hit younger ones first. Right. Um, but it'll get the older ones eventually. Well, right? nobody's quite sure, probably. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. grim. That's really yeah. sad. But going, going back to, yeah. to, to solar, yes, so it, it gives the land a rest. And the actual area required to generate um, enough power for this, this country is relatively small. Mm. I mean, I'll give you an example. We're in Stroud District here. Um, Stroud District, the area around here. Uh, if you were thinking about a, you know, a carbon-neutral future mm. and assuming that um, government predictions or targets of generating 50% of the electricity from renewables, mainly offshore and onshore in the highlands, you would then need to generate 50% of the electricity within the district. That would be about 240 hectares right. of solar, okay. which sounds like a lot, but it's less than 1% of the area of the district. Okay. It's less than the actual current built-up area. So. Yes, it covers areas, but in actual fact, it's not a huge area. They, and it's not destroying the land. It's not destroying the land. And also, it, it, it is, in, if you think in, in, in ecological terms, or, or uh, the cycles are quite long. Mm. When I first came to Gloucestershire, I worked for uh, Sir Peter Scott, the founder of the Wildfowl and Wetlands yeah. Trust. And he, well, he died about the first year I was there. But I, I still used to talk to him about my project. And um, <clears throat> he said to me one day, I thought he was saying it just to me. In actual fact, I found out he wrote it in a book so it was, <laughs> before that. But I was, I was saying I was having problems with the project I was working. He said, well, Simon, he says, I always get up and he said, I think, what is what I'm doing today going to have a benefit in 100 years' time? Which is actually quite an interesting philosophy. Yeah. Um, and so if you think about um, solar farms, they, if they're there for 25 years, it's a relatively short period of time. And if you remove a solar farm, it turns back to a field. It's as simple as that. Nothing, no harm done, no damage done. Or, no, where, where does is the it? land, I mean, you're obviously covering it from sun. Yes, yeah. Does the land sort of wither underneath? No, I mean, obviously, it, it, you, you, on any, any solar farm, you, you, depending on the density of the solar panels, but there's always gaps between them to avoid the shading. So there's, there's grass between them. And there's lots of studies now that show that um, uh, they revert back to, gradually revert back to species-rich grasslands, and you can actually reseed them. Right. And they're, they're, they're pretty good for wildlife, particularly invertebrates, and consequently uh, uh, invertebrate-eating birds and small mammals, uh, seed-eating mammals with the, with the grasses. So they actually sometimes create these little wildlife havens. I mean, our, our one solar farm that's operating is in, 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 in Lincolnshire, and it's surrounded by... Um, very intensive arable yes, land, which 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 is you know which is if highly productive in terms of producing food, but in terms of wildlife, it's perhaps a bit of a desert. In fact, it is a desert. Yes. Whereas this little solar farm um, actually provides a bit of a haven. You, you go in there, and there's butterflies and these birds, and the hares are feeding in there, um, and it, it's quite a it's a real opportunity to to actually provide. Um, uh, a, a sort of a, a respite almost for the, for the wildlife that's trying to move along these hedgerows yeah, and ditches yeah. um, a, a, and join together. It, it's a real opportunity to, 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 for the land to recover. And what about could you have 
some sort of farming with it, like say chicken, free-range chicken farming within some Well, well I, I mean, people, I mean... Uh, the, Just for the diehards who think there should be production on every... Well, some solar farms you have, uh, the, the, the panels are put slightly high, you have sheep grazing underneath it, mm-hmm. and it also re- that retains the arable, uh, agricultural use. Yes, okay. And so p- what people are... And cons- provide shelter for the sheep. Provide shelter yeah. for the sheep. And there are, are um, solar farms now, certainly in, in Germany, uh, which are actually much higher, a couple of metres mm. with spacing and actually growing um, crops between them. And so these are crops that... Um, oh, so that, dual use. Dual use, the crops that, that, that um, particularly horticultural crops, that don't mm. want really hot sunlight. So in areas where you've got an issue of climate change, and you've got an issue of sun burning off crops, it actually provides some natural shading. Uh, very much, you know, you, you have crops grown, grown between trees, here mm. you've actually got crops grown between solar panels. That's it, 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 there, is, there are opportunities. Very positive message. It, 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 yeah, we do, I don't think anybody's done that yet in this country, but certainly um, uh, grazing underneath uh, solar farms is something that, 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 that people do. Yeah. That's a, that's, so it's not a it's not a dead loss to farming. That's, no, no, that's no. one thing we can say. No, no, and people get concerned that uh, if, it, if it's a solar farm, it might be um, designated as, uh, when it's finished in twenty years' time as a brownfield site, and people will oh, want to build houses on it. Yeah, that's. I think that's a kind of valid concern. Yeah, so so that is an issue. Whereas a, a solar farm, it's retained in agricultural use. It's still um, uh, uh, used, and it can be returned to to other uses afterwards, if necessary. We don't know what's going to happen in 25 years' time. No, 25 days' time. <laughs> no, Yes, who knows what's going to happen, yeah. yes. These are much more delicate grasses here are they, from where we were earlier. Yeah. This sort of regenerated... Yeah, this is the area we've, we've... This is a, it's a path, and also we, had, we did do a bit of intensive cutting here for a while. I see. Um, so, so it's is, allowed some of the... Yeah. Uh, elegant grasses to come through. Come through rather than the thick tussock So if solar, te- solar technology continues to improve, the amount of land we're going to need reduces, or we yes, get more power. We, from we get more power. I mean, I mean, it's it's it's, a, it's not a huge area that's needed. Um, people say that we should put it all on on the roofs of houses, and that's important, but. An average house, you, you can't generate enough power yet from your roof, unless you've got a very big roof, yeah. um, uh, um, to, uh, to power your whole house. So what's this lovely frothing pink flower? Well, this is this, uh, it looks like hemp agmary to me. Yeah, it's a... I don't think, I, I will have seen this, but I've never identified it before. Yeah, I th- I th- you, do, you do get it in, in old pasture and the edges of woodlands and rides and things. It's the sort of plant that you would love in a, in a border garden, yeah. yeah. Um, covered in hoverflies, and clearly this time of year there's a big, big one there, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. Obviously providing really good late, late nectar and palm for... Yeah, what a beautiful plant. <laughs> I mean, there must be sort of 40 heads on there. Yeah. So Simon, we're approaching uh, this tall white tower with its winter windmill on it. Yep. Um, so tell me a little bit more about this. This is one, the first one you've, you've yeah, built. Yeah, so this, this was the first one electricity got uh, permission for. Uh, it was about a five-year planning battle. Um, uh, and it was put up in uh, 
December the 3rd, Friday, December the 13th, 1996, and it's been generating power ever since. It's a relatively small one, it's a 0.5, 45 megawatt one. Okay. Um, there's not a lot today, not a lot of wind today. I mean, it doesn't feel no, many, but no, it's but moving. No, it, but it, it, it is generating. I mean, turbines yeah. like this in Enercon, they, they'll start generating it even at two meters per second. Yeah. Um, obviously, if the wind picks up, optimum generation is um, at about eight to 12 meters per second. But they, 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 they generate, particularly in, in, in windy locations or, or where you've got clean wind as well on the coast. Yes. They, they generate power. When you say clean wind, what do you mean by that? Well, not having houses or woodlands in the way. I you've just got that constant. Yeah, because, right. I mean, big, big, that's an issue to do with bigger wind turbines. Mm. When, you, when you've got, say, 45-metre blades and it's sort of 90 metres between the top, the, the top blade and the bottom blade, if you've got surrounded by, by trees, you can have a differential of wind speed between the bottom and the top. So this is the sound, while there's no cars, of two wind turbines And it's not very windy today, but they're going around at quite a lick. So, the, so a computer turns the hub to face the wind. That's right, yeah, yeah, yes, so, yes, yes. So they'll face whatever direction the wind is coming from. Yeah, they've got... The, the small turbine has got obviously got a, a, a fin on the back there that turns it, whereas the larger turbine's got a detector on the top. Oh, I see, so the small one just... It just spins. spins with yeah. the wind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. um, so you can see that... Um, they're much smaller blades on, 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 on the small one they're designed as a, you know, for a small factory or, or a farm, yeah. whereas the, the one with the uh, much larger blades, that's a 42 metres to, to hub there. So that's about half the size of many of the big wind turbines. Yeah. You're often talking with 80 metre hub. Um, and, and, uh, so they're really big pieces. Big piece, yeah. Well, this is, this is you know, and, and the, the blades there are about half the height of the hub, so they're about just yeah. under 20 metres there. Now, wind turbines, I think, of all renewables, have the biggest sort of negative press. There's lots of our readers, some long letters about them, mainly because of their unsightliness in their, in their mind, in their view. Uh, are they inside? What do you feel? How do you feel? I mean, obviously you're a proponent of them, but they are quite a big, you know, it's quite a big piece it's of quite, metal. Quite a big, quite a big structure. Um, but the interesting thing is that you look at any publication or anything where people are proposing, promoting sustainability, no matter what it is, there's always a wind turbine there. Yeah. It's always a symbol of the future, the clean energy of the future. So the, the, there, is, the, there is something about it that it, it is that symbol of the future. So in terms of wind turbines, I, I think they're, they're stunning in their clean lines. Um, and I think they give us hope for the future. Um, I can understand people being concerned about them in some landscapes, but a landscape like this, to be quite honest, I, I think they, they add to it and they are... They are are definitely something to, to, to look towards that the, that the human race actually has a future. Um, I mean, we now have, you know, old windmills are now designated, but back in the 13th century, you know, people complained about them. <laughs> really? I mean, oh, these, blots, the, on the oh yeah. blots on the landscape, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, how can yeah. we have something like that? Um, I mean, so pe 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 sort of people, people complained about canals, mm. railways, roads, um, wind turbines. Pylons, are, I think, are an interesting thing because yeah. they are 
in some aspects, hard to love, although they can be sort of, in a sort of Ted Hughes way, sort of rather epic and like iron, <laughs> iron giants across the landscape. Iron giants lost across the landscape, but they, yes. Um, people object to those, but seem to have accepted that to power our homes and our lives, we need pylons. Accepting that they, they're, they're here to stay, um, there, there are two things. One is, what impacts do they have on wildlife? So yeah. we, we, we get a lot of, oh, they chop up eagles and ospreys. We get a lot of that. Yeah. So how much evidence is there that they <clears throat> kill birds? Well, wind turbines in the wrong place can be an issue. Uh, and part of the... But in this country, um, one has to do huge amounts of studies, one, two years of studies, uh, before you even consider putting up a wind farm. Um, and assess the number of flights through them, um, and the, the risks in this country are pretty low, to be quite honest. The issue has been is that wind turbines were put up in other parts of the world without doing any studies at all. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's tens of thousands of wind turbines in Altman Pass in California, on the hills there. Uh, and, and that is a migrant. Uh, well, no, there's, there's, there's eagles flying up and down all the time um, and they also it's open grazing so the the um, the burying mammals there the the woodchuck and the the, the uh, ground squirrels when they disturb the ground to build the turbine it's nice and loose so they they burrow under the turbine so where does a buzzard feed right on the turbine I, I mean there it's really interesting i mean <coughs> well there's an issue and also in 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 the straits of gibraltar in southern spain there's some real issues there where people have put wind farms up along these ridges where you've got soaring vultures, mm. um, and, and, there, and there's a risk to them. You, you can't deny that, that that is a risk. Nobody has yet demonstrated a impact at a population level, but yes, some wind farms in the wrong place can cause um, mortalities of, of birds. Nothing compared to buildings. Mm. You know, Toronto kills hundreds of thousands of birds, you know, mm. on, on migration because they fly into the glass windows. You know, if you want to, in North America, get rid of Toronto and some of the big cities on the flyways. But the intriguing thing is, or one of the positive things about wind farms is that people are recognising where they put them up, perhaps in the wrong place. They're looking at them again. Oh, OK, in, so they're prepared to <clears throat> yeah. take them down again. Well, or also upgrade them. In California, Altman Pass is the absolute classic there. There's lots of small turbines like this, or even smaller, all over the landscapes. And the scientists there have been modelling uh, uh, where the uh, casualties are occurring, where the wind speed is, and working with the wind developers. And there's a, a very good study where uh, one large area that were killing, you know, up to 24 eagles a year on these these, mm. these. But they've actually moved, they've replaced lots of small turbines with one or two big turbines and actually positioned them in areas where there's been no or minimal casualties and actually reduced the casualty rate of, of, of eagles right down to perhaps one or zero a year. So by retrofitting, you can do that. And in, uh, just here, in the, the turbine just moves slightly there. Oh, yeah. That was a, a, a strange sort of sound, yeah. And then in, 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 in southern Spain, <coughs> people are using radar to detect migrating flocks of birds coming through. 
Um, and when there's a flock of migrating birds coming through, you can switch the turbines off. Oh, and just let them pass, and, unharmed. And, and, in, and some of the wind farms, they've gone one further. They've ground-truthed it by having ornithologists there mm. um, looking at them, and they've found that the ornithologists, combined a radar and ornithologist, you can even be more accurate. So they give an iPad or some controller to the ornithologist who are saying, yeah, there's a flock coming over, well, they're going to go past, don't need to do anything about it. But they can switch a wind farm off within seconds let the birds pass through and then yeah and then switch on it so there are there are people are beginning to look at it and also in more remote areas uh there's uh, research on using cameras mm -hmm. to detect um flocks of birds coming through to, to switch uh turbines off if say there's a flock of seabirds coming through or something like that so there are where people have put them they've been put in the wrong place there are ways of resolving them and in this country uh, the amount of studies one has to do, and certainly at Electricity, with our partner RSPB, we do huge amounts of studies and, and work with them to make sure that the, the, there's no risk to, to birds. Yes, it would be in their interest not to be killed. Absolutely, birds. absolutely. Uh, what about that other old chestnut of um, wind, wind, a single wind turbine costs a lot to put up, and the manufacturer of all the, the parts, the steel, whatever, and it never pays it back. Is that? I've heard this a lot of times. Uh, a, 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 wind, a wind turbine um, pays back its carbon within six months. Really? So yeah, six, 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 six. Oh, the carbon cost or the actual financial? Yeah, both. Both. Oh, the, both. It, it really depends on, on the, certainly the carbon costs are paid back within six to 12 months. Right. And the financial cost, again, that depends on the wind speed, how many, how many turbines so you're putting variables. up. Variables. Worst case scenario? Worst, worst case scenario, five, 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 ten years, something like that, on a big wind farm. And what's the lifespan of? A, a, a wind turbine will last 20, 25 years. That, they'll, they'll pay it off quite quickly. Again, it's very variable if you've got a... Uh, and the biggest cost often is, is not the turbine. And it's not the construction of the turbine. The biggest cost usually is the grid connection. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. one, putting in the actual... One of the biggest constraints on renewable energy in this country is the actually connecting to the national grid. When there was a subsidy for wind farms, most of the subsidy went on upgrading the national grid yeah. or the grid network to actually connect wind turbines to the grid. One thing we didn't talk about was um, the other thing that often crops up is, is wind turbines and bats. Oh, okay. Yes, I was kind of including them in the yeah. birds. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a different phenomenon. And um, it's something that, again, wasn't really thought about when some wind farms went up. We've got another helicopter coming past. I don't know what's going on here. Um, in that uh, there, again, is that um, uh, bats being killed by wind turbines is a, relative, is a very rare occurrence. Mm. But on some wind farms, it does occur. Um, and it appears that that's due to it always, when it, where it does occur, it's late summer, warm evenings with low wind speed. Uh, and so it appears... So you, it's, I mean, these are going really slowly, and that yeah, one's stopping that one's together. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd be slower wind speed than this. But if you imagine a warm evening above 15 degrees, and so always have bats only active in the evening, you get swarms of insects drifting across the landscape. Yes. And it appears, although it's not been confirmed, that it, it's, it's insects being caught in the eddy behind the wind turbine. So it looks like a nice feast for the bats. Yeah. So again, uh, research is ongoing, particularly in Germany, also in this country, and also uh, I've been involved in a lot of that. I, I sat on a national committee to do with bats and turbines. Mm. And, it, and the solution is, is that you curtail the, the wind generation or you switch the wind turbine off 
when bats are active. So l late summer, when the wind speed's below five meters per second, it's not generating much anyway. Um, and that appears to be the way of resolving that. There's an example of a Scottish wind farm which was subsequently found to be in quite a few bats. And they put this curtailment in at low wind speed in late summer and they've reduced it to virtually zero. So there, there are, science can resolve many of these perceptions of problems. Right, that's really oh, interesting. No, so no, that, that it's flexible and people are moving. People are moving that way, yeah. It's not, not, it's not, not perception of real problems. Science can actually resolve some of these real problems within yeah. time. With, with good science uh, and people thinking of, of, of what we need to do. But obviously you don't place turbines right next to an important bat roost or an no. important feeding area and things like that. But that can be done. And what happens when the wind doesn't blow? As we can see, the smaller <coughs> turbine. Is when the when the wind doesn't blow, of course, yes. Um, that's always a big argument against uh, yeah. wind. Um, uh, Although when I, li I live in Wales, and I can't remember <laughs> not blowing. <laughs> that that uh, as I was saying earlier, these are connected to the national grid. Mm. So as you were saying, there's usually wind blowing somewhere. So there's always some wind, particularly offshore. We've got a continuous wind supply, but um, smart systems. Battery storage, um, instant response when, when it drops down um, are important, and particularly solar is also important as, yeah. as a balancing because it, it, it tends to balance it, it tends to blow more in the winter and yes, less I in the see. summer. Yes, so, when so it's there sunny, are, there's less wind, and yeah. so you can kind of get well a the, bit of balance. There is a balance, and, and yes, the battery technology is moving on enormously uh, and to, to balance the system. But um, there is, you know, this country could generate four times as much energy it needs from from onshore wind the land is there is, is the wind is and, and the one thing about wind is is that the price doesn't go up <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a constant it's the same yeah. with sunlight it's not like oil or, or gas or something like that and that's dependent on fluctuations commodity, of, markets. commodity markets and yeah. politics whereas wind is completely free that's a very good place to live. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, thank you. Well, a big thank you to Simon for a fascinating and rather hopeful look at renewable energy in the UK. I know it's a controversial subject for many people and I welcome your thoughts on the issue. Do email me at editor at countryfile.com and your comments could appear in our lovely print magazine, which you can buy in most big supermarkets and news agents. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm delighted to say we've had over 100,000 listens to the podcast this year alone. So that's very encouraging for us and we'll keep going. So until next time, catch up with all your countryside needs at our website, countryfile.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.